What gets in the way of thinking clearly in a crisis? In our last episode, episode 88 of the Survivor's Guide to Life, we talked about what's important to keep in mind when a crisis hits. And one of those points that we made was that it's important to be able to think clearly, to have perspective, so that you don't get stuck and frozen, but that you also don't rush off in a direction that turns out to be unproductive or even possibly make things worse. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to leave you with some important information that will help you. I want to assure you about that. So, having said that, I'm putting on my glasses. Hello and welcome to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson, your host, and across from me, my partner, Dr. Peter Bernstein. And uh, Peter, as he likes to be called, is a coach and mentor with almost 50 years of experience helping people survive and grow through trauma, struggles, and hard times, the stuff of real life. Uh, we do feel, however, because we've lived it, that adversity can be more than a trial to endure. It can be an exciting opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive, and boy do we have an opportunity these days. <laughs> yeah, really. But you know, one of the things we talk about, you mentioned crisis right off the bat, and that could be a real negative, specific kind of experience uh, that people have to face, but I think we're really relating this to what's going on today um, in a very unusual and extraordinary kind of reality that's actually in our lifetime it's been unheard of, this pandemic and the impact that it's having on people financially, personally, uh, what they're being forced to face in, the, in their own lives, in the lives of others. So I, I think that we're talking about a crisis in a more general sense, too, that we're living in a, a pretty big crisis. It's an ongoing crisis. And we would call me. it, and, right. And yeah. what I would, I would say, we've alluded to it a number of times in other broadcasts about um, extraordinary realities. Yeah, I think this is more... We're living in one of those extraordinary realities. And what is that? Um, we, we've kind of um, equated that many times to um, what caregivers, first responders, firefighters, police, uh, ourselves, doctors, nurses, people on the front lines live in day to day by choice, by or calling upon your life or whatever. But it's not the choice that most people make because there's so much involved and taking on that kind of responsibility in life. Um, I would call it kind of the underbelly of life. It's there for all of us, but how many people are really by choice willing to take on that kind of burden, that kind of responsibility? I don't think a lot of people, I honestly don't. <clears throat> so even it is a crisis that we're living in, but it's also a, an extraordinary different reality. And it's not just for a few on the front lines, it's for everyone, that's what makes it such and that's what makes it a crisis, because it's so widespread all over the world. Um, and I've, I've talked to people um, in, uh, let's see, Peru yesterday, uh, I was hearing, because we've, we've supported them, sent some money for them. My God, they're dying by the thousands. They don't have any medical help, and um, it's terrible. And it's the pandemic. They were talking about going up into the jungles and up into the Amazon, and there's in the remote areas. Very remote the areas. Families are yeah. being wiped out. Wiped out. Yeah. And they have no medical supplies. No. Um, no. So uh, some of our friends from a nonprofit that we support are bringing it to them. 
But when he was describing it, they don't even know from aspirin and um, Tylenol. Mm -hmm. you know, so I asked him, well, what are you, what are they sending up there? And he's telling me the kits that they send. It's most of the things that we take for granted or we know we can have access to, these people have had none. So I was listening to that and listening to the kind of life they live. Um, this thing that we're facing is all over the world and you can isolate yourself all you want and these people are very isolated and yet they're suffering can't terribly. can't escape the consequences can't seem to of be, the virus. Yeah. It only takes one person, they said, to, mm -hmm. to, that's, gone, uh, that's come, come and carried the virus and it affects hundreds of people there. So um, it's happening all over the world. It's a, it's a horrible time in many ways that we're all facing and living through. And it's, it's thrown us into a, a, an upheaval in our lives. And we see that when we go out to talk to people. You, you run into people uh, on the weekend. We just finished a weekend. Mm -hmm. And you see, I know you, you come in and you say you've seen how much this is still taking a toll on people. Oh, yeah. And how out of control they feel and overwhelmed and emotionally very uh, intensely charged up. Well, you know, you're talking about um, emotionally. Now, our life is um, invested in dealing with emotions, dealing with trauma recovery, which has to do with emotional damage a lot of times as well as physical. And so we're, we have the uh, many years of skills and focus on emotions, psychology, uh, spirituality, physical, the biology. We are dialed into that. And to be dialed into that, that means we also have to dial into ourselves. So we're used to it, and even though it's very difficult and very painful whether we're used to it or not. But what I'm seeing is most people aren't aware of their emotional lives or how to deal with them. I, don't, I really think a lot of people have learned to avoid that or kind of uh, muddle through it, but not really have an expertise or any, or I don't even mean an expertise, but really it's not something that they've been immersed in. Right. We have been. Right. Now, people are discovering where they are, they may not know that, but where they are emotionally. So let's tie that back into our theme today, uh, which continues, uh, yeah. as I said, from last time. Yeah. And that is... Um, when we're faced with a crisis or hard times, adversity, a challenge, uh, as we were just talking about, we all are now, right. uh, we really do need to have a clear head. We need to be able to have our perspective, and we talked about this last week, have our intuition working so that we have an idea of what positive actions we can take. And last week you brought up the phrase, and we talked about it a little bit, about having a contaminated intuition and how that interferes with being able to take effective action, see what's real, see what needs to be done. Uh, would you relate that to emotions for us? Yeah. I, I take a, st a step back. What are, a lot of people, I, I wonder, does everyone know what intuition is? And, uh, how that works. We're all gifted with the ability to have intuitive uh, uh, knowledge of situations. We're not talking about some esoteric far out thing. It's part of our nervous system. It's part of our radar. Um, it's something that we're born with and under normal circumstances it develops in a normal way. And it gives us readings and our nervous system then responds, whether it's conscious or not, to situations telling us whether it's dangerous whether uh, a person that we're dealing with it can be trusted, uh, whether we're safe, 
whether we can be at rest, whether we have to be on hyper alert. There's so many different things, and that's all different kinds of tuning in our nervous system. So the, our intuition is like a felt state that reads the situations for us almost more quickly than our thoughts and gives us a feel for what's going on. And it's a very valuable tool. You know, I want to stop you because that is the clearest definition I've heard you give of intuition. And I'm glad you stopped me because I think it's one of those words that probably everybody thinks they know what it means. Yeah. And what you just said, let me just the clearer thing that I got from that is intuition is not some sort of mind thing, although your mind is involved. Mm -hmm. It has to do with, um, you said it had to do with your nervous system. Visceral senses. And and to be able to read situations, the, the hopefully natural ability to read situations and know whether you're safe or not, yeah. and whether uh, what kind of action is needed. Absolutely. And, you know, I've heard, the, I've heard for so many years being in the, involved in the psychology world and trying to get people to trust their intuition, trust what you feel, and absolutely. Um, but I hear it thrown around, um, and I, I hear it lately thrown around too much, and uh, particularly with younger folks, and that you've got to learn to trust your intuition before anything else. Well, that would be true if people didn't have trauma in their lives or didn't have crises that affected their normal abilities. Now their intuitive abilities would be damaged in trauma many times. Um, if, let's say you're in, well, just take people who, uh, the obvious, a, a soldier, being in war, being in outside the, you know, with the, being in the front lines of battle over a period of time, seeing the horrors of war, whatever, in knowing that when you're in those kinds of situations, you are on hyper alert at all times because of the danger. Um, and after a while, because you've been in it so long, um, you lose the ability to come back to a normal, many times to come back to a normal sense of letting go of that, letting go of all the energy that goes into that, letting down, and just coming back to what we call normal self-regulation, which is you're safe now, you can let go of that, that's not what's happening. Um, recognizing that you're in a more civil situation and there's no real danger and yet what we've seen as soldiers we've seen people that have been through trauma um, of various kinds um, they can't seem to get beyond the hyper arousal of when they were in the midst of trauma or a soldier in the midst of a battle or the horrors of war and what happens is their responses are on that edge all the time so you can put them in a normal situation where everything is safe it's, you know, they're in a civilian life now, and they are still watching out yeah, and very, expecting danger. Right. A very dramatic thing might be a, someone, a soldier, a, a veteran, a former service member in some kind of natural setting like a restaurant or a store, hmm. uh, and there's a sudden noise somewhere that is not clear what it is. And what it look, what it looks like is, okay, there's been a sound in this normal yeah. situation, but um. for someone who's been traumatized that can be high alert trigger. Danger. Yes, and I, I'm, it's interesting. I know that you're picking, we had gone to a Navy SEAL conference. This is a number of years of some of our friends who are retired Navy SEALs or Navy SEALs. And they were just talking casually amongst themselves and with me, and I think you were there. I was there. And we're, we're talking about they're going to a restaurant. And they said, I never put my back to the a door. I'm always facing the door at all times. And they said, 
it's my responsibility to make sure everybody in that restaurant is safe at all times. That's why I do that. And I looked at them, and these are the younger, now I'm an older, I was not a Navy SEAL, but I certainly know what um, trauma is. And I remember being just like that. And uh, I looked at them and I said, you know, you're still so charged up from what you've been through that you don't have to live that way anymore. And they all looked at me, all of them, mm -hmm. said, we're all like that. And it was a culture of... An identity. Very high alert. And I said, you know, that's not the best way to go all the time. You got to know when you're safe too and you to relax. Mm -hmm. And their tuning is not that, but to take care of other protect people. Mm -hmm. um, they're terrific at those. A lot of the Navy SEALs I know, they are terrific people. I love them as friends and I value them. But I know they sometimes get a little carried away. Um, so, so let's relate that now to just kind of an ordinary person mm -hmm. um, who probably can see that that's, that's such a dramatic situation and an example and understand it. But what about somebody who is going through this time with the pandemic? Uh, let's give an example of someone who is reacting in a way that doesn't fit what's in front of them because their emotions are getting in the way. Okay, I think it's really easy. You know why? Because it's pervasive now. And I think, uh, I, I know so. Um, when people listen to the news and how, how scary it is and how terrible the future looks and uh, um, how pervasive it is and now how, I mean, in, in our county we live in and now how people calling in on each other, I call it the snitch line. Um, and it's, it's gotten to the point now where everybody is on hyper alert and suspicion and distrust of each other and reporting it now, people are actually being um, fined and, and you know, uh, uh, treated like they're criminals in some ways. So, I mean, you look at that and you gotta go, well, where, where are people with this? And the truth is a lot of people are on edge and they're on hyper alert all the time, even when they don't need to be. But they might think they do need to be. They are told now you need to be. And the truth of the matter is, not all the time at all. There's certain normal precautions that we take. Normal, there's really normal fears and things. And then it's when it's gotten so pervasive that people are ready to take each other apart. Um, I've had a number of circumstances where I didn't even know the people. And uh, I, I remember when the thing first started, waiting online was uh, in a, a supermarket or whatever. I saw some terrible things happen. Um, I've seen it at um, waiting on lines at the bank, and I've seen where somebody was hurting, or there was somebody who was handicapped or an old person, and you'd think people would help. And they're so into themselves and taking care of their and staying away, they didn't care that this person was just about fainting and falling apart. And I, I look at those kind of things and I say, what happened to the normal humanity? What happened to relating with empathy and caring again? Which is where our intuition would say, hey, that person's ready to faint. Right. Help them. Don't yeah. worry about where you are online. Go help them. And you look around and no one. They're not there. No. No. And I, I see a lot of these kinds of things now. Um, there are certain people that are extremely um, hypervigilant and expect you to. And if you're not, they're punitive and they're ready to go at it. And I unfortunately feel that around. And also you can feel how uneasy people are. So I... I think that there's a, a, a level, and you talk to certain, a lot, enough folks, they listen to the news enough, it just feeds into it there. It feeds into it, it does. So you right. have, you don't have normal intuition anymore. Nope. What you have is somebody who's on hyper alert and very tense, and you're seeing it on a massive level.
Yes. So that's when... We'll you, come back. We'll okay. come back. Yeah. Uh, you've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma, 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. Peter and I are talking today about what gets in the way of being able to think clearly and see what's happening in front of you during uh, difficult times, crisis, particularly now with the pandemic. Uh, we've talked about it, we're talking about emotions, and we're also talking about intuition, the ability to not to, to read situations and know what's appropriate, whether you're safe, whether there's danger, whether you need to be on alert, whether you can relax. And we're going to go into our next segment here into uh, the emotions that can cloud our intuition and our perspective. Con I would call, I would say contaminated. Contaminated. Yeah, and I, I think the one other thing that would add to that that we've seen happen lately, well, we know it happens, is people are triggered by normal, let's say we talk about precautions, normal fears, that everybody, hey, it's a, it makes sense to do certain things. But what it does is people that have had very fearful pasts or had terrible things happen to them in the past are still suffering in some way deep within themselves, in their nervous system, in their unconscious, in their body, in, psycholo in their psychology. They're, they are still suffering with the memories that are lodged in their body, in their nervous system, with the intensity of those traumatic events that happened early in their life. So, okay, that did happen, and they go along, and they kind of make it through life, not happily, but they, we all have our burdens. Well, here's what happens. You have normal fearfulness that goes along with this situation that you just read it in the present. You say, hey, you gotta put on a face mask when you go into a store, when you go in, you're around the public. Um, okay, that's that's based on fear and, and caution. That's but these people would take it completely differently and go off the deep end with fearfulness and paranoia and distrust that is so intense. And I'm seeing a lot of that. So we talk about we talked about it in other episodes about triggering. Triggering is something that also um, does a heck of a job in contaminating intuition. Now you know it's funny because I listen. I'm one that really is one of those feeling people, uh, sensitive people, and I always put a lot of uh, 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 value on intuition. But I hear lately that something that bothers, it's, it can be viewed too simplistically. And you can say, hey, always trust your intuition, there's nothing more important than that, you know, trust yourself. I get it. What do you think people are talking about then? What do they mean by intuition? They mean trust yourself. Trust your readings and situations. Don't worry about what other people think. Trust what you feel mm -hmm. about a situation. Well, I'd say, okay, I, I could see that generally, but it's too simplistic because you got to take into consideration folks that have had trauma, folks that have been through bad times, folks that it's, their intuition is not clean and clear anymore. It's clouded with old emotional material, energetic energy, charges from old trauma, and their intuition is not going to be reading situations well. Um, I'm just thinking of when I saw a, a, a very well-known movie called American Sniper, mm -hmm. 
And I remember the fellow, um, Chris Kyle, came back after his third or fourth tour, and he was at a, a, a oh, just a, a neighborhood gathering with the kids, and, and his wife was trying to get him to kind of let down and, and let go a little bit. And he was trying, but his mind couldn't be there completely because he was still on edge. And the kids were playing with a, a dog that they were enjoying. The dog was playing with them. And all of a sudden, it made him remember certain things about Iraq or, or Afghanistan, about dogs attacking. I don't know what these are. And all of a sudden, he thought the dog was attacking the kids that were playing. And he went to kill the dog. And there was nothing going on that was dangerous. He couldn't read it. His intuition was saying, that dog is trying to kill those kids. And he was going to, his thing was, he had a real serious protective mechanism. He was a sniper. Um, and then he was going to go protect those kids. And the kids were completely happy with the dog and vice versa. Mm -hmm. His intuition misread the whole situation. So when you see these kind of things, you've got to kind of take that into, into consideration when you talk about intuition and reading. What does that mean about what you're talking about is when we're in a crisis or we're facing an extraordinarily an extraordinary reality, a different reality. Um, one of the most important things is, yes, we need to come to grips with our own humanity. What does that mean? It means you better know where you, you got to know yourself. You got to know where you are emotionally. You got to understand yourself and you got to know even the good and bad of whatever in your, but you got to know what you're, what you've been through, uh, where you are emotionally, um, how it feels in your body. Uh, things that are very important to give us kind of a baseline of who we are. You know, I'm, I, I think a lot of people would say, well, I know how I feel. Um, so that's not a problem. I know how I feel. And yet I know from working with you for years that people will come in and will say, how do you feel? What's going on today? And after maybe one quick, short, kind of uh, lighter response, they're not as in touch as they really think they are. Mm -hmm. So I know we put this out there that you need to be kind of aware of where you are, what's going on in you, but that's not always an easy, simple thing. And I don't think a lot of people are. Like I said earlier, um, that's our training. That's our skills. That's how we help people. One of the ways and one of the dimensions of trauma recovery, we know how to help people diffuse those old emotions and get themselves back to a normal self-regulation. But I don't think most I don't think a lot of people really tune into where they are emotionally, that they really are aware of their bodies telling them it's the reservoir for all these experiences in their life and it gives them the warnings, it gives them the readings on what they are actually feeling emotionally or what a situation is saying, um, re, uh, you know, telling them. I don't think most people that I could tell have that kind of ability, or they have the ability, but I don't think that's been emphasized. No, I, I'm thinking back to the people we work with, and so often uh, when people come in and they want to make some progress in their life, they want to, to uh, work through old things, they don't know how to get in touch with how they feel. They have maybe pushed it down because it's painful or difficult and they don't want to feel it. And we end up spending time helping them get back into an authentic Well, it, the thing that you got to ask yourself is, what caused that in the first place? Because the normal, normally when we're developing, there is that connection between what's going on and what we're feeling. And it, I mean, that's, that's normal development. 
What happens to people that, for some reason, they learn to cut off or, 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 or dis disconnect from the normal feeling state? What happened to them that caused that kind of, we call it a defensive reaction. What, what happened to them in the early years that would cause them to turn off that far and to disconnect? There's lots of things. Right. Um, lots of things that could have, we call it complex developmental trauma. Not just about the present, but what is it that happened in the past that actually caused that distortion? We see it a lot. And then you begin to hear about how they were raised. Then you begin to hear what happened to them, that their father abandoned them, or that, oh my God, there's so many different scenarios I can think of. It could be childhood. It could be a, a shock that happened even in adulthood. Mm -hmm. So many different things that we've heard. Um, and one of the ways, very effective ways that you have centered your practice around, centered your work around, has been how much getting aware of your body and your sensations can help in this process. Absolutely. You know, I, uh, we talk about our histories and, uh, you know, I did, psychology and therapies and uh, coaching, to, that wasn't my first profession. Um, I had a completely different life before that. Um, even though I've been doing this for now going on 50 years in September, I had a whole different life before this. And what, uh, why, when I came into the world of uh, therapies and all of that, went back to school, the truth is it was also for my own healing and seeking healing from the life I had had, which was filled with danger and filled with violence and um, pain. It was, a it was a rough life back there. Um, and that's the life I came from. But I didn't want to have that follow me for the rest of my life because I knew I'd be, I was destined for misery and unhappiness. So, you know, I sought this out, whether I was totally conscious of it or not, I wanted to get better. And, um, and I wanted some, some help. I didn't know anything about it. I, I remember I knew very little about psychotherapy, very little about anything. And I had a lot to learn. And here I come to California from New, New Jersey area and we're talking about universes apart. Well, what I do remember is I would, I would, I was tasting the waters and kind of finding my way through it. And I do remember coming to a point where, about at a certain point, I was a clinical director of a drug and alcohol program. Remember that? And I had just finished a three-year, uh, two and a half, three-year internship at a hospital. But I remember I didn't like that world. I wanted something freer and more creative than that, what I saw in hospitals, and f something beyond just drugging people. But I remember um, uh, I and was, was enrolled in a PhD, and it was really emphasizing what goes on in the head and the unconscious and how people think. And oh my God, it was very impressive. These people were way, a lot smarter than I was. Um, I didn't come from an intellectual background. But, and at first, they'd be so impressed. And then I would go through some of these things as a student and, and training and I remember thinking to myself what the, this is going to help somebody there's something else going on here that's so far beyond this that they're missing and I got a hunch it has to do with the body and I remember after a while I began to do some research and study and sure enough there was a completely different school of thought about how to approach problems and trauma and um, one of them was that the, realizing the body was the reservoir and held in all these memories and trauma. And our body, if we read it and were connected with it and we could read what we were feeling, would actually give us some pretty good cues about where we are. And for me at that time, I remember being a pretty angry guy. 
And my body was very pumped up. I was very pumped up um, as far as a weightlifter and strong coming off the streets. But I also remember how uncomfortable I was. I had a tight jaw. Um, I was always on alert, ready for fighting. And, you know, in California where I was, it, it wasn't anything like Newark, New Jersey or Union, New Jersey. And I remember thinking to myself, this isn't fitting for where I am. And if I'm ever going to have a good life, I've got to let go of this because it's, it's programmed in me. My intuition was geared for danger. So that's how I began to dabble and learn about it and, and therapy. But then I realized I came to a certain point of probably halfway through my first PhD and or maybe a little earlier that this is not for me. I have got to find a, a way of clinical training that was going to incorporate the body. And sure enough, there was plenty. And I decided to change my PhD and I, that's what I emphasize, clinical mm -hmm. science. That's what and, you've brought to your work ever since. Mm -hmm. That's right. But what I... I'm, we need to take a break. We're going to need to take a break? Yeah. Okay. You, want to, you, have a quick, you have a quick finish? I Probably not a quick finish. Okay, no quick finish. Okay, we'll get back. We'll yeah, get back. Ahead, yeah. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We will be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. Peter and I are talking today from the point that in order to really be effective in a crisis or in a very difficult time, you have to have your intuition and perspective working clearly so that you can see what's happening in front of you and how you should respond. And we're talking about what gets in the way of that and specifically uh, built up emotions, possibly from past trauma, from uh, difficult times in the past. And how do we recognize those emotions? And since this is our, our third segment today, I want to make sure we get to what are we going to do about these emotions. Okay. Um, there's another part to it. You know, out of that, working that out and, and learning the skills of sorting that out leaves you with some great experience to use when you run into new crises and new disruptions in life. And I've been, develop, I've had an expertise in developing the messy times that people go through and the disruptions in their life. To me, it doesn't frighten me away. It's like I get very creative. I know how to survive it. I know how to teach other people how to survive it. But there's other folks that have avoided dealing with certain things in life for so long that when a disruption and a crisis like this comes, they are so ill-equipped because they made sure they weren't going to be touched by the underbelly of life. You know, the battles, the adversities, the struggles, whatever they could do. This Our whole society has been geared toward distraction or um, finding security in 401ks and, and money and homes and getting ahead. And unfortunately, in a crisis, all of those things fall to the wayside very quickly. And all of a sudden, these folks are really at a loss because they haven't developed the skills to help them through disruptions. Um, and they become petrified or they become inappropriately aggressive and really scared. But they, in their being fearful, they strike out. Um, and I've seen a lot of that. So they overreact. So um, we're talking about um, emotions, very important. How do you work them out? 
there's lots of ways, but the number one way really is you got to begin to tune into yourself and know yourself better. And that may mean you need to know what you're feeling physically when you're uh, in, in crisis. What does stress make you feel like? What does distress feel like? What does your anger feel like in your body? Um, what about when you're sad? What does your body feel like when you're stressed? Your body's going to give you all kinds of sensations um, and telling you. Anger. You're, that's when, you know, there's an adrenaline rush, your amygdala in your brain kicks that off. You develop very high, you know, you produce high levels of cortisol, and that's putting you on hyper alert. Um, there's a, a big component of the anger is in that, the rage, um, uh, uh, those are kinds of things, but your body's telling you. What kinds of, I mean, you're not going to know that your amygdala is doing something, and that's a brain, that's a section of your brain, in right. case we didn't explain that. But what kinds of, of symptoms in the body come with anger that we can Well, explain? I think they're very, you'll see, your, your eyes will be bugging out, you'll, there'll be a very, you're not going to be feeling hunger, you're going to feel a very fast heartbeat, you're going to feel there's an intensity in you. I see you doing something with your tight jaw. jaw. There's going to be a high level of energy built up in your body. You're going to feel it. It's very, very uncomfortable or could be in danger, very appropriate. Um, there's a lot of things. That, um, you, the, the physical coldness, uh, fear also produces that, but anger produces that. Or it produces an intense, red-hot intensity within your chest and within your, in your body. Um, that's, uh, it's almost like creates like a machine gun effect intensity. Um, that's rage and anger. The other things that sometimes people don't recognize are anger are frustration, irritation, impatience. All of those things build on themselves until you get to a place of overflowing with rage and reactivity. Right. There's no responsiveness, then it's just being reactive. All those things are part of it. Um, the, 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 those are the destructive parts of it many times. Right. Um, and we've seen people strike out. We've also seen people take it out on themselves. They can act in against themselves. And yeah. then they get super critical, almost to the point of being self-abusive. Um, and that's another form of rage turned in. Um, there's many kinds of things that, that happens. But you ask yourself, okay, that's, that's anger and rage. What does sadness feel like? What does compassion feel like? What does fear feel like? And what does fear feel like? Feel like physically, you're gonna, that coldness. We've had a guy recently that said he had just heard that his, his uh, company closed down and he was, his whole body was so cold he couldn't find a warm spot and he was pacing in the house and very uncomfortable. He was scared. And that was, he began to feel it physically and he couldn't get out of it. Um, that's pretty common stuff. Um, Fearfulness usually, you know, what you really want to do is run away. Um, um, people who are enraged are ready to fight and attack. People who are fearful and feel that kind of coldness want to run away. And their thoughts are, I've got to get out of here, I'm going to get hurt. Um, people who are enraged go the other way and go, I'm not going to get out of here, but God help anybody who comes close to me, I'm going to really hurt them. So um, those are a couple of ways that our body begins to tell us some of the things. Our neck gets tight, mm -hmm. our jaw gets tight, stomach gets tight, tight stomach for stomach fear. Aches right? for fear. Yeah, yes. Stomach aches, throwing up, yeah. or feeling nauseous. Um, with people who are sad, they'll feel pressure above their eyes. They'll feel a pressure in their chest. Um, so many times you'll say, those are tears. Yeah, 
those are withheld tears, that's right, in your body. But what does compassion feel like? It's warm. You feel okay. a, I gotta stop you. Why are you shifting to compassion? Well, I think that that's a really important thing for people to know they've got to do with those, with this. Um, we're at a time when it's very easy to go into hyper alert, suspicion, distrust is being fed. Um, out of that's going to come frustration, rage, anger, high fear. Um, and you got to ask yourself, well then, how do we get out of that? That's a reactivity. Is that really how we want to be with people around us in hard times? Yeah. And our encouragement is always, the answer is no. Even though we all can feel that way, what does it really need to look like? There needs to be a transformation and a transition to empathy, compassion for our fellow man, and caring, not seeing them with suspicion and distrust in a potential threat. A lot of people who have that intense fear are paranoid now, or they've always been paranoid, and they see everybody as a potential threat, and that is happening pervasively now. It's being fed by the media, it's being fed by the county administrations and stuff, and, and what they're trying to do now, they're putting people into paranoia and distrust, and they're just fueling it. So you got to go, is that the best way to go? Is that normal? And the answer is no. no. What's really better is to have compassion and to find a way to care about your fellow man at this point. And not just think of yourself, but think about what other people are going through. Well, how do you transform anger and rage into forgiveness or well that's one of the <laughs> that's one of the keys um, into compassion and caring and I think it's a change of consciousness even if you're feeling emotionally and physically pent up there's another part to it and that is you gotta you got you gotta get to a point where you want to let go and I don't mean let go and dump your rage on people um, although we we at our institute take care of getting it out but not not in destructive ways but there's a way that you're, you've got to change your mind. You've got to look at this and you've got to see a benevolence and begin to let go of your resentments, begin to forgive, and begin to um, not let, and get, let go of those vengeance fantasies and, and distrust and paranoia and begin to look at people more lovingly. Now, I'm not talking about going around hugging everybody and, you know, uh, making them your, your intimately best friend, but it's, it's just looking at people in a more caring way. That, and then you begin to realize they're hurting too, maybe more than you are. And that change of consciousness is really important. Um, and that transformation goes with, we'll also begin to change our physiology. To be honest with you, you begin to, our cortisol levels begin to go down, our amygdala begins to quiet down, and we begin to get to a, a shift in our nervous system um, we use skills and techniques to, in our work with what we call trauma recovery to help people make that. Sometimes we do have to diffuse those intense emotions from the past and diffuse the intensity of hyper alert. We find that it's very important to do that. But we also know that people have to shift to a more normalized state and that usually has a more peaceful impact for yourself and toward others. And even if you're dealing with a crisis or an extraordinary reality, you become more of a giver, a nurturer, a caring person, um, and more effective in dealing with whatever crisis is in your, in your life. And some of them are so overpowering and so difficult that we can't change them. And that's heartbreaking sometimes for our care, caregiver types like ourselves. For me, it is tough. 
but it's kind of coming to a place of acceptance and um, dealing with whatever the situation um, brings to us in a way that is nurturing and nourishing and loving and supportive and caring. And that's really a whole lot different than being enraged and angry at not being able to make it happen for, and make it better and um, being geared toward being in control because we're going to face situations in these crises like now. We don't have control and we can't fix it. But we can learn how to respond differently if we know where we are emotionally, if we have empathy and caring. Um, I think those are very important things, and we begin to care about our fellow man and show some compassion for those instead of disdain and distrust and suspicion, show a little bit more compassion, maybe a lot more these days. Um, a perfect example is they have a new hotline, I call it the snitch line in Sonoma County, and you can call in anybody who doesn't have a mask on and they're going to be fined or whatever businesses. The first day they got 250 calls. Mm. And I'm thinking to myself, that is opening up a keg of worm. Real trouble. Because once people start that, the suspicion and the intensity of fearfulness and distrust is going to grow exponentially, which I'm sure that's happening right now. Um, that's the kind of things we want to diffuse. We all, yes, we want to make sure people take precautions, but when, now it's going way overboard. And it's being, it's being done officially. And that's supposed to be to help people. It's going to cause more crisis. So the key for us is, well, how do you diffuse the crisis? How do you get to a better place within yourself, even in the midst of one? And how do you find a balance within yourself that's going to be caring, loving, nourishing, and nurturing to others that aren't doing as well? That's the kind of things that I bridge to caregivers and first responders. People who live like us in that front line, they have to deal with that all the time. Now it's time for people to learn those skills completely. So I'm going to take you up on that. We're going to have a break, and when we come back, that's exactly the question I'm going to ask really? you. Really? Yep. Okay. Perfect. All right. Yeah. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back with our questions. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson, and we are in the questions of this episode, and we're talking about uh, gaining intuition, perspective, being able to read difficult situations clearly, and what can get in the way of that. And I want to follow up uh, just at the end of our last segment. Peter, had you had a provocative question, and I'm going to ask it to you because I think we want to have the answer. You said that, and I know this is true, that when we are in the middle of very difficult situations or crises, we do want to get to a better place inside ourselves. We don't want to be just broiling with emotions. We want to get to a more stable place and be able to be ourselves. And you were saying that, that caregivers have experience with having to make this shift from being very intensely emotionally charged to be able to shift from anger, fear, sadness to hmm. compassion, caring, loving, nurturing, and being able to be there for someone who is depending on them. 
Yeah. How do they do that? And it's, this is not a long, these are not a long question answer period. So what can you say that will help people listening? Okay, first of all, not all caregivers are doing that. And we work with a lot of caregivers and what we found is we know what the ideal is and we want to train more caregivers on how to be more resilient because um, they don't all stay nourishing, empathetic, they begin to get resentful and they burn out. And what causes that? They don't know how to deal with their own emotional lives. They don't know where they are and they may have started with compassion and caring and wanting to fix others, but after a while it, the situations they've gone through and go through begins to register on their bodies and their nervous systems and they have this cumulative effect of tension and stress um, that they take out on themselves, on their families, on their teammates, um, and it's not good. What we would encourage those folks to do, first of all, we've got to help them get diffuse all that backed up emotion and pain before it turns physical. And we've seen caregivers, uh, too many of them, deteriorate physically um, because they've, they've pent up with so much stress and they work, they're hard workers, most of them, um, that we've met. And you'll see after a while their bodies begin to break down. They begin to develop high blood pressure, strokes. They start, dr they drink a lot. They'll do drugs. Um, their family lives fall apart, all because they don't know how to deal with the stresses of being involved in very difficult situations. They're helping people in very dangerous situations. They're helping people who are very sick, people who are dying. They're gonna help people come to, to the end of their lives. Very, very tough stuff. And nobody's questioning their desire to help because they're, they're the people that are on those front lines. I think what's more important though is how to preserve themselves and how to learn how to take care of themselves emotionally, physically, spiritually, energetically. Um, and basic, it's basically learning the same skills that we're emphasizing today with the public. And it's for these folks to learn how to deal with themselves um, in a more constructive way. We call it self-care. Um, we know that it has to go a lot farther than what we've seen caregivers of all kinds do. Um, we also know that they reach a breaking point too. They're human too. And as much good as they may be doing, they're, they're being challenged and confronted with so much really tough stuff that after a while it takes, it takes them down. Anybody, that's any of us. But they have to know how to recover. They have to know how to find their resilience and how to transform that stress and pain into something that will give them an ability to come back even better. So then let me follow that up with my next question, which is how, let's, let's give some real specifics here. How do they, caregivers, how do we resolve, work through, use self-care to help diffuse some of these emotions? Well, the first thing is you got to become conscious of where you are. And a lot of times, a lot of caregivers are truly not. And they've cut off because they're, they've taken on so much pain. They've been exposed to it for so long that they really don't feel anymore. And um, it's taking a toll. It becomes, it, it, that stuff takes on a life of its own and it's not going to be too positive. Sometimes it takes a, a, a team member, supportive people who come around and let them know, hey, this stuff's starting to get to you. You're starting to physically burn out. Um, you're taking your anger out on a lot of us. You're, you've been through a divorce already, which, by the way, for, a caregiver, uh, for the caregiving world, it's about 70% divorce rate. Mm -hmm. For, para, uh, for uh, first responders, it is. Uh, 
a lot of drinking, and somebody needs to come alongside and go, look, man, I, I care about you, and I see what's happening here, and I don't think you're aware of how far got, over the edge you are at this point. It does take that as a beginning. The next part of it is for us to be more committed to being honest with ourselves um, about where we are, really. I've seen too many people that don't know how to truly be honest with themselves. And they put on a good front, they put on all the, say all the right words, and yet when you really check, I call it integrity, that what they say and what they do is the same. I've seen too many people say one thing and then when you really look at it, there's not much behind it. So there's got to be that honesty with ourselves. We've got to know where we are. We've got to be, we've got to know our good and bad. We've got to know our, our tendencies. We've got to know what effect trauma's had on us, our own. And I don't mean we have to be cured, but we got to know that about ourselves because we're going to be taking on what goes on around us. And in a crisis, lots of things go on and we're going to be affected by it. First responders, paramedics, uh, caregivers of all kinds, we take on the energy and impact of what these people are going through. It affects us. We got to know what their part of that we've taken on for, from other people and who we are. Otherwise, they come together and they get all embroiled, and it's very hard to sort it out. And that's when things begin to go down. Get very messy. Mm, get and messy. Very confused and and unhelpful. And that's, that's right. when people begin to act destructively and get resentful and eventually burn out. They can burn out. Yeah. Okay. So this, that does happen. My last question, and this is something that many people, I believe, that we see and that we see not only in the, the work that we do, but we now see out in the world, that they feel but they can't always put into words. Yeah. And that is that somewhere under all the emotion, with everything that's going on, under all that, or inside all that, there is this feeling that they are not going to be okay. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And that colors everything for them. What would you say to those people now? That deeply don't, deep down don't feel like they're going to be okay? Right. They think the pandemic is, is going to get them. They think they aren't going to be able to handle the difficult times of their life. They're just not sure that they can come out and come through things and survive and have a better life in any way. Yeah. Well, it's a very, it's a thought-provoking question. Um, I'm not one of those people, but I certainly help numbers of people who are like that. Um, what, I, what I've discovered, and this, is, this can vary, um, is that a lot of folks that have had difficult journeys in their life, um, somehow, somewhere along the line, lost hope. And um, when things got bad, they became very despairing and discouraged. And in some ways, they gave up. They didn't really see that good can come out of something. Because in the past, maybe it didn't. Um, I see people under stress now falling back to those old kinds of um, messages of not, they're not going to be okay. And they get very, there's a lot of depression, there's a lot of discouragement and despair, I see it. Not just anger and rage, I see the other too. 
and I look at that and I go there, you know, and the media feel, 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 uh, feeds that too, a lot. And um, although I have respect for Dr. Fauci, he is a worry wart. And boy, he doesn't have a very positive outlook about the future, about anything, and he's wrong. Now, I'm not saying he's wrong scientifically and clinically, that's not my expertise, but we come out of it. We, we've had other epidemics and pandemics. We eventually come out. You don't hear him talking about any coming out. Um, there's other experts that I've listened to that do have hope, and they realize it's so important to encourage people right now and give them hope and, and encourage that within themselves. If you don't have hope, it's time for you to discover what it's going to take for you to rediscover that part of you. Does hope and faith mean, well, you're just going to, you know, is it pie in the sky, Pollyanna? Yeah, it's nothing, just be fine. and it's nothing like that. Thank you. You said it right. It's more um, knowing that even though you've got to go through all of these difficulties, eventually you're going to come out all right in some, some new way. Something good will come out of this. Now, when you're in the midst of the struggles, I can attest to this. It's sometimes it's pretty hard to go, really, what's going to come out of this? This looks really heartbreaking and devastating to me. I'm not negating people going through those rough times, believe me. I am saying, though, even in the midst of that, there's something deep down. There's a reason, there's a purpose that people are going through these things. Do I know what it is? I'm not, I'm not God. I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball. But I've had enough experience in my life and had a lot of difficult experiences, devastating in my life, in helping thousands of people go through theirs and get over the effects of it and come out for the better. They call it post-traumatic growth. I do believe in it. Um, but I know that there's going to be something purposeful and good that comes out of all of this. That doesn't mean that the process is easy or looks really, you know, pie in the sky, everything's wonderful. Nothing like, I'm not talking about that. But deep down you've got to know that you're going to be okay, that things will work out eventually. And good, something good is going to come out of this, even if you can't see what it is now. That's hope. That's having some faith and trust. It's essential to healing. We all need to have that. I sense that a lot of people do not. Um, I do too. I've seen too much of that lately, and they're discouraged, they're despairing, they're also emotionally exhausted. And that really makes it harder to have hope if Absolutely. you're depleted and exhausted. Absolutely. And they go back and flip back to, that's when they get into these old reactions of despondency and despair and discouragement. Mm -hmm. And I don't think a lot of people that are there even are aware that it's happening. No, it's not It's just always. an automatic no. falling back to the old reactions. Not good. Not good at all. Because this is a new situation, there's going to be a new day, there's going to be a new beginning, there's going to be, and better days are, are, are going to come. So don't give up, hang in there, and reach out to your fellow man. That's one of the messages that you I have given over the years, over and over, that so many people need to hear is to have hope, and that don't give up, and that that really is it's essential for healing and for having a fulfilling, satisfying Absolutely. life. Absolutely. And we want to offer you more of some of Peter's most valuable insights and words and encouragements. And we put them together in a little booklet, uh, The Survivor's Guide to Life. And these are some principles that Peter has used for years to help people move through the difficult times of life. We'd love to give you a copy if you email me, Jenny, 
J-E-N-N-Y, at BernsteinInstitute.com. I would love to send you this. So go ahead and send it to me. It's a beautiful book that Steve created. The Survivor's Guide to Life is made possible through a grant from Sonoma Coast Trauma Treatment, a 501c3 public charity that relies entirely on donations from people like you. We hope that you've benefited from our message today and that you'll consider donating to us or to the, to the nonprofit at sctraumatreatment.org. Um, please visit our website, thesurvivorsguidetolife.com, where you'll find our podcast. We have a YouTube channel where you'll find videos of all of our podcasts. Please like us on Facebook and share us and on Instagram. Uh, and if you'd like more information from us, we are at 707-781-3335. Thank you for listening. I have one other thing. Is it a quick one? Yeah. I want to wish my old friend Terry Levy in Evergreen, Colorado, a happy birthday today. We are childhood friends. He's a psychologist out there. Happy birthday, Terry. Terry, happy birthday. Thank you.